Welcome to What's Up with Betsy Johnson, the podcast from a longtime Oregon legislator and keen political observer discussing what is right and wrong with government, politics, and public policy. Well, I wanted to ask you something. I've actually wanted to ask you this for many years, but I never did because you were still in the legislature, but I can ask you now. So when there's a person that is the president of the Senate or the Speaker of the House, is that even fair to their constituents? Because I see how you dealt with constituents, and that was like any time, day or night, holidays, weekend, doesn't matter. If you got a problem, Betsy's on it. And I saw you do that many times. So I'm just curious, do you think that they get fair representation when they're, you know, elected representative, whether it's a state senator or, or a house of representatives, state representative, uh, do you think they get fair representation when that person is doing such a big job that requires so much time? Well, those legislative offices within leadership have a lot more money and a lot more staff. The president and the speaker get paid more than just regular legislators. And I think part of the rationale for that is to contemplate the fact that they have other responsibilities beyond just representing their constituents. And in fairness to other legislatures, legislators, and at the risk of sounding like I'm breaking my own arm, patting myself on the back, nobody, nobody did constituent uh, relations like my office did. And in fact, this uh, meeting last week that was the annual meeting of our economic development agency had a fellow who has been an advisor to three governors as their keynote speaker, and I got to introduce him. He's a hell of a good guy. I like him very much. His name is Vince Porter. And I said in my introductory remarks for Vince that when I was a legislature, I tortured him relentlessly. I called him day, night, weekends. And to his credit, he was absurdly responsive. That is a rarity in this administration. I called state agencies the other day, I called eight of them to try to get a, a live human being to answer the damn phone. If I were the governor, I'd order those employees back like yesterday. I think it's terrible when emergency management offices say we'll get back to in 48 hours. I represented a huge chunk of the coast and I can see myself standing in seaside watching the big one rolling in the mother of all tsunamis and thinking emergency management says, yeah, we'll get back to you in 48 hours. I called the guy that runs emergency management and bitched about that. So maybe it's changed, but that was just laughable. Well, and now you get a chance to experience it like the rest of us. So, you know, um, one of us calls the state agency, they're not going to call us back. Um, and now, sadly, the same is for you, though you would think you would deserve a little more respect than that, being a former legislator, but not always, right? That is exactly the case. Um, that is exactly the case. And it's too bad. I often said that Oregonians shouldn't have to bring their lobbyist, their legislator, or their lawyer to a meeting with a state agency to get a modicum of attention paid to them. Well, let's uh, talk about what else happened in your week. You mentioned some political things you wanted to chat about. What would those be? Well, the, one of the bills that I that I have heard credibly on uh, Tina's possible veto list is setting aside money to study whether or not we ought to legalize prostitution in this state. I mean, for Christ's sake, if we don't have enough problems now with open drug usage and dealing in the streets of Portland, the streets crowded with, with campers still, I drove out to see a sick friend this afternoon and I had to drive quite a ways on I-84. And as I got closer and closer, I could see this big black plume of smoke. And as best I could tell, it had all the appearance of a, of a homeless place going up in flames. 
Um, it's nearly 80 degrees this afternoon here. Fortunately, there's not much of a wind blowing. But again, the dangers of people living on the streets and government's writ large inability to do anything other than plan the next meeting, to plan the next meeting, to plan how they might want to do something, and people are, are you know, literally dying. So anyway, the, the last thing we need is more, more vice and crime on the streets of Portland. And uh, good on Tina if she, if she actually vetoes that one. What a profligate waste of money. So um, other political stuff this week. I fired off an article and I will send it to you and make sure that we have it up so that people can see it. It was me complaining about some of the money that the legislature had spent for for-profit bars and concert halls and dance facilities while simultaneously failing to fund the, uh, any money for crime victims or failing to fund any money for any of the large cultural venues. And some of those large cultural venues are really sucking mud. Now, everybody's recovering from COVID. They're recovering at different rates. Um, but some of the other things that are plaguing those large cultural venues, especially in the Portland area, is people's lack of enthusiasm about going downtown and having your car ripped off or getting mugged on the street or stuff like that. Um, but we'll, I'll get you a copy of that article and we can put it up. Uh, also, Oregon watched with increasing horror and anger as um, news has, is leaking out very slowly of some of the bad behavior that some of Kate's um, most favored felons have engaged in since she managed to let him out of prison. The most egregious of those is a guy who right now, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but he is being connected with uh, the murders of four women. And he was one of Kate's golden boys that uh, that she let out with the, I would say with the, uh, with the acquiescence of our erstwhile DA in the Multnomah County DA's office. Multnomah County for people listening outside of Oregon is our most populous county. It's where Portland is. And there is a, uh, a George Soros uh, DA there who thinks that, uh, you know, if you just give everybody a cup of cocoa and, and a cookie at four o'clock, that they won't be rapers and muggers. And um, so we're watching with interest as many of Kate's favorite felons are now involved in recidivism. Before you um, go on from that, though, I wanted to tell people who Kate is, because a lot of people might not know. Uh, former Governor Kate Brown is who she's referring to. And the list she is the is the the list governors issue at the end of their terms where they pardon people. Right? Is that where I'm? Am I in the right place? Yeah, you are. And Kate did it very aggressively with all sorts of sweetheart deals, uh, including people that had been sentenced to true life, meaning no possibility of parole. And some of those people actually made it onto a list for consideration. And one of them that I talk about almost continuously is a guy named Patrick Harned, who changed his name while in custody and managed to slither onto one of the lists that Kate reviewed. And it was through the heroic efforts of our former Clatsop County District Attorney, Josh Marquis, the current District Attorney, a guy named Ron Brown, and a fledgling new attorney representing Oregon crime victims that, um, that uh, this dirtbag will spend the next four years in prison. 
Um, but uh, Governor Brown's enthusiasm for letting people out, I think, is blowing up in her face as many of these folks are engaged in some pretty bad behavior, especially this fellow that is going to be charged with uh, some multiple murders. Um, we've got, uh, I may have mentioned this already, we've got um, tort claim notices flowing out of the Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Control um, Agency. Uh, Oregon is a what's called a control state, which means that our liquor sales are um, overseen by the state. And while they have independent liquor agents, the state sets the price, um, floors the product, sets the rules. And recently, our cannabis industry was in, uh, was um, um, added to their responsibilities. And uh, there was a, a, a scandal involving the sale of some pricier boozes in a scenario that nobody understood was going on or knew was going on. And um, many of us believe that this was a reason for uh, Tina Kotek, our current governor, to execute the head of the OLCC, the Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Agency, um, at the same time that our erstwhile Secretary of State was doing an audit on a company that she was working a very lucrative side deal with, um, a consulting, a consultancy that she was doing for $10,000 a month, you know, plus ups and extras, that caused her to resign in disgrace. And so now, as ends any one of these big kind of deals, the lawsuits are flying. And so that is occurring. And then we've got all sorts of political machinations. Our current treasurer, Tobias Reed, has just filed to become the Secretary of State following the ignominious departure of the last Secretary of State. And um, uh, Christine Drazen, who ran unsuccessfully as a Republican for governor, um, uh, has just announced a uh, 501c4 political organization that she's organizing to continue the conversation of her campaign with the Oregonians. Um, many of us that are a little bit more cynical think that this is going to be a platform for her to tee up another gubernatorial race, but she was uh, she's announced that and so the political season is in full swing we've got all kinds of candidates lined up to try to take out the republican incumbent in oregon's fifth congressional district and um uh, all kinds of, of political uh, moving around and people seeking different seats announcing they're going to run for different offices or announcing they're going to uh, run as first timers into the legislature. So it's an interesting time of the year when people are starting to think about, you know, the next election, quote, just around the corner. I don't know if I can stand a whole year of it. <laughs> well, uh, some people are. I would I would submit to you probably most Oregonians are more worried about the heat and the upcoming fire season, perhaps, uh, than they are worried about politics at this point. But you never know. Um, speaking of fires, how are we sitting? That's it's it's a very big deal in Oregon and of course all over the the West. We've had fires burning up in Canada. Um, I don't know what's going on in Oregon at the moment. Are you, do you keep track of that? Oh God, yes, I keep track of it. Um, back in my old life, when I operated a helicopter company, we flew on fires and I grew up in central Oregon, which is the high desert country of Oregon with uh, 
old growth ponderosa pine trees there. I packed a house a couple of times. I've had our meadow in the house I grew up in used as a hell attack base. I look out the window and see a scar on top of a very prominent geological feature called Black Butte that was struck by lightning and started an enormous fire there. So all of us are in Oregon are hyper vigilant and um, it, it's been a little bit smoky here with some of the there are a couple of fires burning down south. There's one in the southern part of Oregon and then we've got fires up in, as you said, British Columbia. Uh, the state of Oregon has just authorized $12 million to purchase an airplane uh, as though that's going to somehow miraculously change our fire situation, which is just total hogwash. What we need to do is to manage our forests better. And instead of talking about managing our forests better, our state department of forestry is talking about taking more trees offline and unavailable for harvest which makes our forests less well-managed. And uh, and so we've got all these contradictory policies, but the purchase of this airplane is laughable. Um, I was in the aviation industry forever. My brother-in-law is an airline pilot. My sister did a couple of tours on the United States aerobatic team. My husband is still in the aviation business. And we watch with interest as a state agency earmarks $12 million in public money to go buy an aircraft that they have no pilot for, no hangar for, no business plan for, and that's going to miraculously save us from fire. It's just a joke. And so um, I that uh, I mean I understand one of the legislators that pushed the purchase of that aircraft had his house destroyed in the Labor Day fires of a couple of years ago, and so I understand the emotion that he comes and brings to this conversation. Um, I just think that before we spend $12 million of the taxpayers' money, we ought to have a plan for how to deploy it, equip it, maintain it, and pilot an airplane of that magnitude. But just call, just call me old-fashioned. <laughs> wow. So they want to buy a plane, but they don't have anybody to fly. It sounds like somebody, there's some uh, county that once built a jail didn't have anybody to run it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the first thing I thought of, but uh, oh my goodness. So uh, the last time I was paying attention to Oregon's Department of Forestry, uh, they had some ancient software, and I believe this was pre-COVID or during COVID. I'm not even sure anymore. But they had some software that would only go up to like $9,999. Yeah. <laughs> did they ever did they get that fixed? Uh, they're in the process of fixing it. It's anything but fixed. And, you know, instead of fixing their core problem, which is their ability to bill and pay bills, no, we're out on some airplane adventure that we have no idea what we're going to buy. They just launched out four different kinds of aircraft. Um, I, I talked to a private sector guy who's in the business of working fire still, and he said for some of the equipment that they want to put on this airplane, it could be another million dollars. And then, as I said, no hanger. Oops, that's another three million. But we haven't fixed our software system. And uh, when I left the legislature, they were still pretty far behind. But at one point in time, they had failed to bill for a hundred million dollars worth of services rendered. A hundred million dollars. I screamed about that like a mashed cat. And uh, again, I haven't been close to the epicenter of legislative uh, uh, thinking or oversight or uh, demand for accountability. So I don't know to what degree they've got it fixed, 
but they can sure sit in these damn board of forestry meetings and talk about how they're going to shut down what's left of the timber industry in Oregon. But I don't know the answer to your question. Have they fixed their, uh, their software problem? I don't know. Thanks for listening to What's Up with Betsy Johnson. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please email questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, at BetsyJohnson.com.